Well, New Year's Eve, right? And Joe says he's got big plans. I'm just staying at home tonight, and I'll probably be in sleep before midnight. So not so exciting this year, but it'll be nice and warm this year. But there's this idea, you know, every year we celebrate New Year's Eve, and there are parties that go on all across the country, all across the world, and the ball drops in New York City, and you'll see that happen around the world, and people are celebrating. And it's really a celebration that goes, finds its origins way back in history. It's actually a, a Roman tradition. It was a Roman god, the god Janus. The god Janus that they were celebrating. Janus was the Roman god of doors. The god of new beginnings. The god of closing. The two-faced god. It was a time of the year to look back and to look forward. They would look back and celebrate what was, and they would look forward and make sacrifices that they would make on New Year's Day to become the new person they wanted to be. But New Year's Eve was all about partying. And the next day was all about getting your act back together and trying to do things better next year. And so this idea of looking back and looking forward is a really interesting practice that we've gotten from the Romans. And in fact, this month that we're entering into, January, that's where it's got its name, is from the Roman god Janus. January is named after him. And so it's a month of doorways. And that's kind of what the new year brings to us. And it's kind of like this freshness to 2018. You can sort of put 2017 behind you because it's the new year. I used to be in sales. Well, I'm still in sales, but I used to be in sales selling transportation. And in sales, you have quotas, and they usually are annual quotas. So if you're, you didn't make your quota in 2017, guess what? 2018, new quota, start at zero. Everybody starts on a level playing field. It was a great time, especially if last year didn't go so well. If it did go really well, you kind of wanted to stay in 2017 and just sort of like bask in the glory that you received in 2017. But then everything started new in 2018, which is kind of life, right? We can sit here and bask all we want, but 2018's right on the doorstep. And it's this idea of looking back and looking forward, but really this idea of making New Year's resolutions, you know, making a resolution about what I will do, what I will change, really didn't begin until the beginning of the 18th century where people started writing down, I'm resolved to do this this year, or stop doing this, and begin doing this. People didn't begin that tradition until then. And today, that continues. But only about 45% of people in America report making resolutions. How many, anybody make a resolution this year, or going to? You're the only brave one, Lorraine. Everybody else, really, nobody else is making a resolution? This isn't a trick question. I'm not setting you up for failure. Okay, fine. Yeah, pressure. But people make resolutions. But the question is, are they useful? Do they help? What do you think? Do you think they help? Most of you must not think they help because you don't make them. But there's a researcher that has looked at this idea of resolutions and whether or not they're useful, whether or not they're helpful. And what he's done is he did a year-long study of people that made resolutions. And the people that made them, he called them resolvers. And the people that didn't made them unresolvers. And he categorized them into resolvers and unresolvers. And even the unresolvers, he made sure that they wanted to make changes. They just weren't willing to make a resolution. And he studied them for a year to find out how successful they were to find out whether or not resolutions were useful or not. 
And so what he did was after two weeks, he checked in and said and found that the, of the resolvers, 70% had kept their resolution. But of the non-resolvers, only 50% had kept their resolution. Interesting, right? And then he checks in continually. And the big thing to look at is this six-month time. 46% of resolvers at that time had kept their resolution. And actually, it falls off, he said, about 1% a month from there on out. So it goes down to about 40% of the people for a year keep their resolution. Pretty, pretty good, I think. But the people that, made, that didn't make resolutions, how, how good do you think they were at keeping their, their, their plan? 4% of people at month six who didn't make a resolution, didn't, keep the thing, didn't do the thing they said they wanted to do, but were unwilling to make a resolution. So he, he concludes that resolutions by themselves are useful because they help us keep on track about what it is that we want to do, what we want to change. But one of the big reasons he says that he's found out that people don't stick to their resolutions is that oftentimes their resolutions are made because of outside pressure. Pressure from society or the culture or maybe from friends or family to change a certain behavior, a certain habit, and so people they acquiesce to the pressure and they make a resolution to something they say they want to change, but really that idea, the pressure came from outside rather than make a resolution on something that they really wanted to do. People who make that resolution based upon something that they really want to do have a much higher success rate than those that just give in to pressure from the culture and from society. And in his book, James Smith writes this, our wants and longings and desires are the, at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. Did you catch that? Our actions and behaviors flow from our longings and our desires. Timothy Keller writes it this way. What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. Read that again. What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. I can find a way to do what my heart wants. That's why Solomon writes this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. See, we think it all begins up here but it really begins in here, it begins in our heart. It's what our heart desires most that we'll do. And we fail at our resolutions because we think we've got the right idea, but we've never really checked our heart. We've never really looked at what it is I really want to do. It makes sense, but we don't check our hearts. Jesus encounters a man one day, and he's checking his heart. A man who had resolved to follow him. Actually a scribe, a teacher of the law. Someone who had been given authority and was qualified to teach the law. A man who along with the Pharisees would have been opposed to Jesus. This man one day professes his 
devotion to Jesus, giving his heart to Jesus. But Jesus questions him. And that's found in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18. And it starts this way. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. He had been teaching, and he had, been, he had given a teaching that we have titled the Sermon on the Mount. And it was after that sermon that you find in Matthew 5 through 7 that Jesus has been healing people throughout the land, and the crowds are growing, and they're following him, and they're amazed at everything he's done. And he's given orders to go across the lake to get away from the crowds, but there's this man who approaches him and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And so Jesus questions the man, and he says, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Makes sense, right? It's like me going to my wife and saying, Terry, I'll love you for the rest of my life. And she says, the kids need food, the grass needs mowing, and I need a nap. And as a husband, I'm going, what? As all husbands would, right? What? But as we read this, we understand, if you dig into it, that Jesus is questioning the, this man. He's questioning his heart. And he's saying, do you understand that the person you're saying you want to follow has less creature comforts than the wild birds and wild animals? And my mission, where you will follow me, will not be about the creature comforts, will not be about earthly purposes. I am on a kingdom quest. I'm interested only in kingdom purposes. And following me, you will be asked to be concerned about the spiritual, not the carnal. About the eternal, not the temporal. Do you understand what it is you're saying? Jesus is questioning the man's devotion. Now, we're not told whether or not he follows him or not. Scholars believe that eventually this man did follow him, that the man did follow him that day. But Jesus is checking his heart because he wants to make sure that the man really wants to follow him. Jesus knows where that desire comes from. It comes from your heart. He continues. Another disciple, someone who was already following Jesus, comes to Jesus and says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Kind of harsh, isn't it? Especially in our 21st century. It's like, what, you want to let the poor man go bury his father? That's not what Jesus is saying. Again, Jesus is saying to the man something completely different than what we see on the surface. Think about it from the father's perspective, the man that has died. What would you want for your son? To be concerned about your burial or following Jesus? I know if it were my son, I would say follow Jesus and leave my burial to somebody else. That is much more important. That's what Jesus is saying to the man. This mission that I'm on is so urgent that this mission, following me, is the most important thing in your life. More important than anything else. And it is urgent. He's communicating that to his disciples and to everyone and to us. 
that his mission is of the utmost urgency. Each and every day, people are dying apart from a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he's given us the opportunity to share that with people and to follow Jesus in doing that. But he's saying, check your hearts. Do you really want to follow me? Do you understand the sacrifices that I am going to ask you to make in your life that you put aside what you want for what I want? And not next year, not next week, but today, right now, will you follow me? Will you make my desires your desires? Saying, check your hearts. Because the mission is urgent. So I think, I believe, we need to be a people of resolution. I believe we need to be a people of resolution. And not just a resolution that we make every year, but a life of, re of resolution. A life resolved each and every day of our lives to following Jesus Christ. That's the life he lived. Jesus lived a resolution life. He was resolved from the time he came to this planet to give his life as a ransom for many. He was resolved to do the will of the Father. And that's exactly what he did. And he said in doing so, there was great joy. We hear that and we say, oh, it's going to be tough and it's going to be this, and we all think about what we're going to lose, and Jesus said, you don't know what you're going to gain. Not just in the afterlife, but now. It will be great joy. And his prayer for his disciples, which include us, is that we would have the same joy as him in doing the will of the Father. And so he calls us to seek after him, to spend time with him, to meditate on his words daily, to spend time in prayer, not just once a week, not just once a day, but a continual life of prayer, seeking after his will, seeking after his heart, spending time in the body, in the family, seeking after the heart of God. Because it is only God that can align our hearts with his. It is only God that can align your heart with his. In our strength, all of our resolutions will be self-serving in our own strength. We can do a lot of things in our own strength, but aligning our hearts with God's is not one of them. That is something that only He can do, and He calls us to seek after Him. And as we seek after Him, He is faithful. He tells us in Jeremiah that, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. When we seek after the Lord's heart, what it is that he truly loves, he changes our hearts. He changes our hearts and aligns them with what he wants to see happen in our life for our good. So that we could have the joy that his son had in living the life that he called us to live, that abundant life. The first thing that we need to do to seek after the Father's heart is ignore the circumstances around us. 
So often we hear, look at the chaos, look at everything that's happened, look at all the devastation that's happened in 2017, and can you just still say that God is in control, that God still cares about us? And I say, circumstances you have to ignore. The best place to start is to look back and to remember what God has already done. We need to literally take a page out of Israel's book. And we need to remember what God has done. They taught their children every day what God had done for them. All of the festivals, all of the sacrifices, the names they gave their children, the places they stayed, were all a reminder to the faithfulness and glory and compassion and provision of God. So that their children would always remember the goodness and they would understand and realize and live in the knowledge of the heart of God for his people. So that their children and every preceding generation would not forget the goodness and the heart of God. So I think it's good this morning that we look back at 2017. Look back here, just in the life of Trinity. It was in January of last year that we did this series called Clarity. And the theme verse was John 10.10. 10. I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly, Jesus says. And we say the reason we exist is to help more and more people experience the abundant life of Jesus now and forever. That's why we as a community exist. That's why the church exists. And so we started last year as a reminder of what God was doing, and that that promise was for everyone, no matter their race, no matter their skin color, that promise holds for everyone, no matter their religion. Christ died for everyone. Not just special people, but for everyone. And we went into the book of Ruth, and we were reminded of God's hesed, his unconditional love. And that he is our Azar. He is not only our God, but he is our helper. That spirit lives in us to help us live that Hesed life that God has called us to. And then in the summer, we studied Bod for God. And it was really a series about what it means to live this life that God has called us to and that our bodies are gifts of God. It's his love for us that he's given us these bodies to accomplish his mission. And then we turned our eyes to the apps, that all good things are gifts from God, even apps, and how these apps can serve his purposes and how we can use our apps to remind ourselves about the goodness of God and how we can accomplish his mission by using apps. And then we learn from David, from Daniel and his friends that God, no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself, no matter the land, God is with you. That he will not forsake you. That he is faithful. And he will deliver you at just the right time, in just the right way. But also, there is a spiritual force at work in the world that same verse that we started the year out in John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly. Do not forget, there is this evil force in the world that will try to dissuade you from the fact that God is truly a God of love and that he wants what's best for you. But this force wants to convince you that no, he doesn't. He just wants you to follow a set of rules. And then we started this eight-week series in the fall of what it looks like to be the body, another gift from God. That we have a family that can walk alongside of us and encourage us and share with us the sorrows, but the joys and the thanksgivings in our life. And how we as a body together could be on mission with God for eternal purposes. Seeing great things, storing up treasure in heaven. And we do that together. And we concluded the year with the Advent season being reminded that God chose to come into this world in the form of an infant and live a life of devotion, to live a life of resolution, resolved to make a difference in your life and in the world, to reconcile everyone unto himself. The entire year is a reminder. Each and every day as we spend time in his word is a reminder of the hesed that God has for his people. That he is a God devoted, resolved, making a way back for each and every one of you. That is what God is about. But he's done more than that this last year. Watch this. It's not just about what God has done, but what he's begun. And you see there in 2017, two new sites beginning. People being baptized, people coming to faith in two more locations. God is calling us and inviting us to join him in an exciting mission to make a difference in this world. And not just four sites, everyone, but many sites. So as we look forward into 2018, as we look forward to what God will do, we see great things. We're resolute to following a God who promises as we look into the future to bring everything to a resolution. We're told in Revelation that he will make all things new. All things new. There will be no more crying, no more gnashing of teeth, no more death, no more sorrow. He will wipe away every tear. And everything will be as it should be. And God will be all in all. That is the God that we follow. And we follow him into 2018. And as we seek after his will for our life, individually and our lives collectively, we believe God is calling us to more. To a life of following him. Seeking after his heart so that he can align our heart with his, so that we can have the heart for the lost that he has. That we would spend the rest of our lives on mission with Jesus Christ, giving him our hearts more and more each and every day as he changes them and inclines them toward his life, toward his mission. God calls us to a life of resolution a life that he supplies the power for. 
Each and every day we're told in the book of Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. God goes with us. And he never asks us to go anywhere that he himself has not already gone. But he also goes with us. And he tells us each and every day is a new day. Each and every day is a new year. With freshness and newness and new mercies that God has in store for you each and every day. A great way to approach every day by remembering what God has done and what he promises to do and that he promises to go with you each and every day. And he promises that you will see great things and that you will have joy beyond your imagination as you do the will of the Father, as you live a life of resolution. Not just a year of resolution, but an entire life. My prayer for each and every one of you that 2018 would be a year of revolution, a resolution in a life of resolution. I pray that God gives you that strength, that power, that joy. For Jesus' sake, amen.